Walter Sports Bar is again this college football season the D.C. hangout for Florida State fans. Make your plans now for Sunday night of Labor Day weekend as FSU takes on LSU. Will Dylan Cruz be there to cheer on his Tigers? Unlikely. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pitch swung on, belted a deep right. Twisting, turning is Garrett going back to the warning track at the big wall, and this one is gone. Goodbye. A game leadoff home run into section 141. And it's Boston 1, Washington nothing. The runners go the pitch. Swing a line drive, base hit, right field. McGuire scores. Devers rounding third. He'll come in. Garrett's throw is cut off. The story will go to third. It's 3-0 Boston. Tristan Casas with a two-run single. And Gray pays for the walks and cannot finish off the inning unscathed. You know, you don't get to this point, uh, especially this year, you know, being an all-star and everything, not having good stuff. So the command right now is a little bit of an issue, but I, I know that he could turn that around. Um, but he's got to trust He's got to trust his fastball, uh, start using it more, and throw, throw it over the plate. And welcome to Nats Chat for Wednesday, August 16th. 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. The Nationals, as you probably know, had one all-star this season, Josiah Gray. He was having a terrific step-forward season. He still could end up having a terrific step-forward season, but Gray right now is uh, in a bad way. Uh, And he, on Tuesday night, had a third consecutive bad start. The Nats on Tuesday night lost to the Boston Red Sox 5-4 at Nationals Park in game one of a three-game series. Josiah Gray allowed five runs in three innings. This episode of the Nats Chat Podcast is brought to you by Votes for Women, the uh, latest board game released by DC's Fort Circle Games. Fort Circle Games' mission is to create fun, easy-to-learn historical board games. Josiah Gray now, over three starts in this month of August, has an ERA of 11-12. We know what time of year this is, Mark. These are the dog days of August, and uh, at least so far, the uh, dog days are not being kind to Josiah Gray. No, they're not. And you see this pattern here, Al, where he is throwing a lot of pitches right from the get-go, not able to put hitters away. He's putting himself behind the eight ball. You can tell early on these are going to be short starts. And he hasn't been able to even get through five innings for the most part. And I do wonder like, okay, what's going on here? Is he wearing down? 
Is the command office just facing some better lineups? Is he overthinking some things on the mound? It could be a combination of all of that. But the end result is that I think after a half a season of seeing him find a way to get out of jams that he would create for himself, he's no longer doing that for whatever reason. And you see how fine the line that was all along. He was able to have great results early on in spite of some struggles. Now the results are kind of mirroring the trouble that he's getting himself into. It was interesting listening to Davey Martinez's postgame chat with you guys because so much of it was about Josiah Gray and what went on with him on Tuesday night and what's happening with him right now. I mean, his season is unraveling really in this month of August. Like, it's really been bad these last three starts. And even before that, some of the results were good, but the process was not so good. And, you know, Davey talked about lack of fastball command. And, you know, we know the deal with Josiah Gray. He doesn't have a good fastball to begin with. If he's not commanding the fastball, that makes things even worse. And, you know, then he gets into this rut of, you know, he has all these different pitches that he uses. And it's like, which one is he going to use and which one happens to be on in a given game? But yeah, the pitch inefficiency really is standing out. I mean, these Josiah Gray starts have gone from being like a treat to watch to now being almost painful to watch. And you almost go into the outings now expecting it to be a high-pitch game and a game in which he probably isn't going to last for that long. And what we had on Tuesday night was really rough. I mean, that first inning, that was some first inning. He only allowed a run. He gave up a leadoff homer by Alex Verdugo to right field on a 1-2 pitch. But Gray in the inning ended up throwing 31 pitches. He issued a one-out 10-pitch walk of Rafael Devers, despite him having been down at one point, one, two. And it's just like, yeah, an inning like that sets a tone, digs a ditch for you, puts you in this like pitch deficit from the get-go. And that's really like the foundation upon which the rest of the outing was built. He never really recovered from that inning, even though he only gave up the one run. Right. And it's 31 pitches, despite only facing five batters. So do the math, people. That's more than six pitches per at bat. That just cannot happen. That's not going to get it done. That was rough. Like you said, it set the tone for the evening. And then really, I think to me, the most critical sequence of everything was in the third. He's got two outs, one man on, chance to get out of this inning and actually, you know, still be in a manageable place. And he ends up going 3-2 to three straight batters. He walks the first one. He walks the second one to load the bases and then gives up a two-run single to the third one, Tristan Casas. And it was such an example there of consistently being one pitch away and just not having that pitch in his arsenal to get a guy out. Now, you mentioned the stuff about Davey wanting better fastball command. He doesn't just want better fastball command. He just wants more fastballs in general. We've seen this over the last few years that as a start plays out, if Josiah doesn't feel like he's got his fastball, he can abandon it altogether and really goes to that wide assortment of other stuff that he throws. And the problem with that can be hitters know they can sit on that kind of stuff. They can foul off tough pitches. They can take breaking balls at the knees or below because they know they're going to be breaking balls. They're not looking for it to stay straight. So what Davey's actually asking for him is don't overthink it. Even if your fastball is not your best pitch, you still got to throw it and still show that you have it to keep hitters honest. And sometimes I know you want to say, well, the fastball gets hit hard. You're still going to get outs on it more than you're going to give up hits. So if you're one pitch away from getting out of an inning, try the fastball every once in a while. You might get them to pop it up or ground out and get out of that inning and save yourself a whole lot of trouble. 
Yeah, especially if you don't have great command in that game. At least the fastball can be a way to cover up for the lack of command because the way the things were on Tuesday night, you can't have that. You can't have the fastball not working, your command's not working, you're not throwing the fastball, and so you're setting yourself up inning after inning to have these ridiculous pitch counts. No doubt. I mean, that two-run third for the Red Sox was something. It was another inning in which he had guys down one-two and he could not put them away. That was an issue, really a theme throughout the game. And then in the top of the fourth, Josiah Gray got charged with two runs off giving up a leadoff first pitch single by Jaron Duran to right field and then giving up a double by Pablo Reyes to left field despite him having been down at 1.12. And then that was it. Davey Martinez pulled Josiah Gray from the game. Josiah in this game lasted officially for just three innings. Three of Josiah Gray's four shortest outings this season have been his last three outings. Things are really coming apart here in this month of August. Now, the good news is that there still is enough season left to where Josiah Gray can get back on track and end his season strong. I do wonder this, though. I mean, watching this game, I said to myself, is Josiah Gray ailing? Is this guy fatigued? Are we seeing the wear and tear set in? Have you gotten any sense that there's something physically wrong with Josiah Gray? No, not really. And as he pointed out, the velocity hasn't dipped at all. So it's nothing like that. I think he has faced some better lineups here, particularly the Phillies, the Red Sox, who know how to work at bats, which they certainly did to him. I think just the idea of pitching every fifth day all season long, I I know he made it through all last season healthy, but it can be a grind and it's something where they may have to look at giving him some extra time here or there, skipping a start, whatever that may be. You know, they've got the six-man rotation now. At the moment, it sounds like they're just going to go one, two, three, four, five, six, but maybe there are opportunities to skip somebody and give them a little bit of a breather. So I wonder if there's some of that going on as well. But I mean, ultimately, in his growth and development as a major league pitcher, this is the kind of stuff you have to learn how to do. It's August. Everybody knows what you throw now. You're getting worn down. There's still six weeks to go. You got to dig deep and find a way and learn how to get through this and ultimately build yourself up to be a 175, 180 inning pitcher. And he's not there yet because he hasn't had to do that before. So I think these next few starts, he's going to face the Yankees next at Yankee Stadium. Now that team actually is not so feared. The Yankees are not hitting the way that everybody thinks the Yankees should be hitting. But that's still a little bit of a challenge in his hometown. I think it's a big start for him and the next few ones I think are big to get himself back on track. His ERA now is 396. Remember when it was in the twos for a good part of the season and all of a sudden he's teetering on four. Yeah, and that's a concern, right? Like you don't want this very nice feel-good season to end up not being such a nice feel-good season. And, you know, one of the things about the last two years with Josiah Gray was there were stretches of him pitching well. There certainly were games in which he pitched well. But then at the end of each season, you looked at the numbers and you said to yourself, boy, I mean, that really wasn't that good, right? ERA over five, bunch of home runs given up. You know, you could have something similar this year to where we spent so much of the year praising him and rightfully so. But if things get really ugly over the final, say, you know, two months or at least six weeks of the season, you know, he could end up with an ERA of like four and a half or something like that. And if he does that, then you're kind of like, well, was this really the season that we thought it would be. One of the things that I think you think about with Josiah Gray is, and it's more of a philosophical question, but can you be an ace or can you be a really good pitcher in today's MLB without a really good fastball? Like doing this thing of you don't throw the fastball a lot, you don't have a great fastball, you're not a big strikeout pitcher. 
can you really be an ace? Can you really be a good starting pitcher? We're so used to, you know, Max Scherz or Steven Strasburg, great fastballs, high strikeout numbers. What do you think? Can a guy in 2023 MLB be a great starter without a great fastball? I think you can. It's not easy. You've got to have pinpoint command and some elite secondary stuff. The guy I would think of who maybe fits that bill, and I don't even know if he really is that elite, but I think at times he has been. It's Kyle Hendricks of the Cubs, who is a change-up guy. He does not throw the ball hard at all, but he has been pretty effective here for quite a while, in part because he hits his spots all the time, and so he can do it without overpowering you. I think the thing to remember here, though, is that while Josiah Gray maybe had been their best pitcher for much of this year and represented them at the All-Star Game and deserved to do so, I think most people with the organization would acknowledge that in their grand vision of how this all works out, he's not supposed to be their ace. He's probably supposed to be their number three starter behind Cade Cavalli and Mackenzie Gore in one order or another. Now, it would be great if he was the guy we saw in the first half and could consistently be a guy with an ERA under three and, and be that effective and that consistent. But it's not easy to do that. You have to have pinpoint command every time you take the mound. The thing is, we say he doesn't have a good fastball. I've seen him throw 95 plus with it. So, I mean, he does have that ability. It's more about the ability to command it and to trust it. And this is a guy who he thinks a lot. We've talked about all the work he put in last winter to try to fix some things. And he did fix a lot of things with mechanics, with the home run ball, which was such a problem for him. It's really not what's beating him right now. So I, in some ways, trust that he can now make the adjustments that you want to need to to fix this and get better as he goes along. But also at times that can be to your detriment. You might overthink it. Sometimes you just got to say, hey, I'm a big league pitcher. I can throw a ball 95 miles an hour. If I can locate it, I'm going to be effective. And I think that's that fine line that he's walking here. And maybe whether it's Caber Ruiz, Jim Hickey, Davey Martinez, or just Josiah himself, somebody almost needs to go up to him and say, hey, stop thinking so much, just pitch. And maybe that can work for him at some point. There's something to be said for ignorance being bliss. And sometimes you can be like too smart for your own good. It is funny, like now if you throw 95, you're considered to not have a great fastball. But I mean, look, the proof is in this. He himself doesn't think that he has a great fastball because if he did, he'd throw it more often. So like, forget about what we think, forget about what everybody else thinks. He clearly doesn't think that he has a great fastball. And so, you know, you do wonder bigger picture, like what does that mean for the kind of starting pitcher he can be, but hopefully gets on track. I mean, it is only like a last three start stretch. It's not like this guy has been awful for, you know, two or three months now, but man, it has been ugly. Like this month of August, things are not going well for him. And remember prior to this stretch, he was kind of at a weird place of some good results, bad process. We talked about that, you know, really since the all-star game, he's been up and down like the pre-all-star break, Josiah Gray versus the post-all-star break, Josiah Gray, two different guys. But, you know, look, we know this is how it is with a starting pitcher. Like the progress isn't perfectly linear. So there's going to be kind of an up and down, up and down type thing. You just hope that the general trend is up. This episode of Nats Chat is sponsored by VotesForWomen.com, the latest board game released by DC's Fort Circle Games. Fort Circle's mission is to create fun and easy-to-learn board games for a wide range of ages. Votes for Women is a board game that lets players relive the fight to ratify the 19th Amendment. Perfect for those in D.C. that love history and want to learn more about it. Designed by Nationals fan and D.C. resident Tory Brown, 
and published by Nats Chat superfan Kevin Bertram. Order from www.votesforwomen.com. That's votesforwomen.com. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Well, the heat, the humidity, the sky-high temperatures, uh, they all are here. And all of this is forcing your air conditioning into overdrive, leading to ultra-high energy bills. The solution, new windows from the folks at Window Nation. And Window Nation right now is offering a sensational deal to listeners of the Nat Chat podcast. Right now, no money down, no payments, and no interest for two years, plus 50% off all styles of windows. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Again, no money down, no payments, no interest for two years, plus 50% off all styles of windows. 866-90NATION or windownation.com. Know this about Window Nation. It has installed nearly 2 million windows with a 96% perfection rating. Window Nation is elite. Window Nation is the equivalent of peak Max Scherzer for the Nats. No money down, no payments, no interest for two years, plus 50% off all styles of windows, 866-90Nation or windownation.com. That's 866-90Nation or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. If you, too, are on the lookout for some cheaper tickets to the Morgan Wallen Show at FedEx Field in early September, then I suggest you check out the GameTime app. GameTime is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports and other shows near you. It is the fastest-growing ticketing app in the USA for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy, so that way you know exactly what to expect when you show up. Grab the tickets without the stress with GameTime. Here's what to do. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code NATSCHAT, that's spelled N-A-T-S-C-H-A-T, for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Hey guys, Al Galdi here to tell you about Factor, which is America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. I have been eating Factor meals. They are outstanding. They can help you fuel up fast with flavorful and nutritious ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track reaching your goals. We, of course, are in the thick of summer, but the school year isn't far away. Everyone's busy. You want to make sure that you're eating well. With Factor, you can skip that extra trip to the grocery store, and also skip the chopping, the prepping, and the cleaning up too while still getting the flavor and the nutrition that you need. Factors Fresh, never frozen meals are ready in just two minutes. All you have to do is heat up the meal and enjoy the meal and then get back to doing whatever it is that you need to be doing. Here's what you do. Go to factormeals.com slash natschat50 and use the code natschat50. You do that, you get 50 off. Yeah, 50% off. Go to factormeals.com slash natschat50 and use that promo code natschat50 for 50% off. Factormeals.com slash natschat50 and use that promo code natschat50 for 50% off. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. On a 3-1 pitch, Dylan Cruz rips a base hit to right center field, and the Freddies are pouring it on in the first. Two more in, 
Two more ribbies for Cruz. It is 7-0 Fredericksburg. Here's your Dylan Cruz update after action on Tuesday evening. He hit second and played center field for the Fred Nats as they're back home. One for four with two RBIs. Did strike out twice on the evening. The Fred Nats routed the visiting Augusta Green Jackets 13-5. Now back to Mark and Al. And here's the pitch by Jansen, a swing and a high fly ball, deep left center field, moving back on his Duran, shy of the track, and he makes the catch. And it's a very quick inning for Kenley Jansen to close the Nationals out of the ninth on just five pitches. So the Red Sox have taken game one of this three-game interleague series. The Nationals' three-game winning streak comes to an end. They lose for just the third time in their last 15 games here at Nationals Park. Josiah Gray may be in a bad way right now, but the Nats' bullpen is flying. Uh, (laughs) This is crazy what's happening here. We on Tuesday night had yet another terrific performance by this resurgent Nats' bullpen, which, oh, by the way, got a key player back on Monday. The Nats on Monday afternoon reinstated reliever Hunter Harvey from the 15-day injured list, which he had been on since July 17th, retroactive to July 16th due to a right elbow strain. The corresponding roster move was the Nats optioning reliever Joe LaSorsa to AAA Rochester. And while Josiah Gray on Tuesday night only lasted for three innings and the Nats bullpen, once again, it was leaned on quite a bit, the Nats bullpen responded. Five Nats relievers officially combined for six scoreless innings. Robert Garcia officially tossed two scoreless, hitless, and walkless innings. Now, he did allow two inherited runners to score, but officially two scoreless innings. Andres Machado, scoreless top of the six. Jose A. Ferrer, a perfect top of the seventh. Jordan Weems, a scoreless top of the eighth. And the returning Hunter Harvey, a perfect top of the ninth. You know, this game, when Josiah Gray exited it, had the feel of, boy, this could be one of these ugly Nats games. It certainly could be a game in which, you know, the opposing team scores seven, eight, nine, ten runs. Instead, the five spot remained the final run output for the Red Sox. The bullpen for the Nats came through once again. Here's the thing. That's five relievers going six, as you said, scoreless. And I put scoreless in quotation marks because Garcia did not do a great job inheriting the jam that he did. Now it's second and third, nobody out. What are you going to do? So, you know, not an easy spot for anybody to get out of. But six scoreless innings on 65 pitches, okay? Think about how hard Josiah Gray had to work to get through his three innings on 84 pitches. Now, everybody who came after him did the rest of the game on 65 pitches. That was remarkable. And it's just a continuation of what we've seen from this group. It is staggering how good they have been. And it's been everybody. There has not been a weak link. I mean, even Lasorsa who was sent down. He had one rough outing over the last month, but he had been scoreless in every other one. So he had shown some promise. Everybody else has been good at times when they've used them. Even Corey Abbott had a good long relief appearance the other day. It's really something to see. And that more than anything is the reason that they've been in all of these games. I mean, they probably should not have had a chance to win this game. And they did They trailed 5-4 in the fourth inning, and it was still 5-4 when they came to bat in the ninth, and I never would have imagined that would be the case. Both, I didn't think the bullpen would be able to hold them down that long, but I also thought the offense at some point would do something, and they didn't. We'll get to that later on here. But to me, you want to pinpoint one reason why the Nationals have played so well here lately. The bullpen keeps every game close and gives them a chance to come back late, and more often than not, they have come back late. This has been such a crazy season with this bullpen. At times, it has been wretched. 
and lately it has been outstanding. And, you know, we have had seasons certainly in which the Nats bullpen has been wretched, but like, have we ever had a season like this with this wide range of performance for a Nats bullpen in a singular season? Like at times it looks like an F minus and right now it looks like an A plus. I mean, it's just so bizarre how that is. What about Hunter Harvey? So he ended up being on the 15 day IL for about a month and yet he doesn't go on a rehab assignment. Now I'm not complaining about that, but gee, I'd love to know how often that happens. A reliever misses a month and doesn't have to go on any kind of a rehab assignment, especially a guy with his injury history. But, you know, he certainly looked all right on Tuesday night with that perfect top of the ninth. Yeah. So he threw a simulated game the other day and everything was fine for that. And he felt like he was good to go. And, you know, he said that deep down he knew it wasn't that serious, that he spoke up early this time. Last year, he didn't do that. He admitted he tried to pitch a little longer through it. And that cost him several months in the end. And in this case, he spoke up right away. And I think because of that, it allowed him to come back quicker. And he even thinks he could have been back a week or more earlier, if not for an off the field situation, which was that his wife gave birth to their son early. And so there were some complications and he had to spend some time, obviously with them, more important than baseball. If not for that, he thinks he could have been back like as soon as the 15 days were up. That's how good he felt. Can't argue with the results. He was throwing 97-98. He was throwing strikes like he always has. He looked like he had not missed a beaten. I mean, that's pretty amazing that we're talking about how great this bullpen has been. And you just added a guy who's making him better. And they actually are at a point now where like, it's sort of a question of like, who do you drop when you're adding somebody new? Because there are no real obvious candidates. Everybody has done a nice job. And I don't know if it's going to last the rest of the way or not. But right now, this is as deep and effective a bullpen as we've seen in a long, long time here. And the guy who Harvey supplanted as the Nats closer, Kyle Finnegan, now is staying on as the closer because he has been so good, right? Right. I mean, Davey said, like, it's 12 straight scoreless appearances, seven for seven in saves after Harvey went down. You're not going to mess with that. That's You got a good thing going. So he did say Finnegan would stay there. Now, I'll be interested to see I'm sure the situation is going to arise at some point. And we saw this earlier in the year. Let's say it's a tie game, one run game, eighth inning. Opponent has a couple guys on base. Are you going to bring in Harvey to pitch out of the jam? Or would you go to Finnegan as your fireman, your best ace reliever? That worked so well for them earlier in the year. I don't know that Davey's going to be so married to the idea of the closer and he's got to be my ninth inning guy. I'll be interested to see when that situation arises. But In a broader sense, he is saying that Finnegan is still his number one guy, and if the innings are clean, he's going to save Finnegan for the ninth. Yeah, I think Davey has shown a willingness to deviate from, you know, closer ninth inning, setup man eighth inning. And, you know, even this season, like with Finnegan and Harvey, Harvey and Finnegan, like it kind of has gone back and forth. So I don't know that that label of closer matters so much with the Nats right now. Like we know who the top two guys are, Finnegan and Harvey, and it's just a matter of how you want to deploy them in a given game. But man, this Nats bullpen is surging. So very nice to see that. Mark mentioned the Nats offense. Strange game for the Nats lineup. So the Nats scored four runs, totaled just six hits, although four of the six hits were doubles. The Nats worked three walks, went just two for 11 with runners in scoring position. All four of the Nats runs came in the bottom of the third. Cape Ruiz in that four-run third had a one-out bases loaded two-run double to right field to cut the Nats deficit to 3-2. Stone Garrett, he in that four-run third had a two-out first pitch, two-run opposite field double to right field 
to give the Nats a 4-3 lead. But otherwise, that was pretty much it for the Nats. Certainly was it in terms of the Nats scoring. Dominic Smith did have two doubles. He went two for four with a couple of doubles. C.J. Abrams had a single and a walk. Also had a stolen base to get to 30 for the season. So those really were your offensive highlights. But it just was so strange because, again, the game had the feel of a slugfest early on. Nats score four runs in the bottom of the third and then get blanked the rest of the game. So many one, two, three innings, so many quick innings, the pace of the game. I mean, the first three innings, it felt like took about four hours. The final six innings, it felt like took about 30 minutes. So uh, it was almost like two different games on Tuesday night. It was a really bizarre game. And you said, what, two for 11 with runners in scoring position? 10 of those came in the first three innings. They only had one at bat with the runner in scoring position after the third inning. That came all the way in the eighth. So there were opportunities. They went 0 for 3 in the first, 0 for 3 in the second. Both of those with a chance to just at least move a runner up, try to get somebody across the plate, and they couldn't do that against Nick Pavetta, who they kind of had on the ropes there and couldn't do anything. Now, they did convert in the third, and those were some good quality at-bats in that inning. A couple of walks drawn by Thomas and Manessas, big two-run doubles by Ruiz and Garrett. And so you thought, okay, well, they can continue this. And then once the Red Sox went to their bullpen – just like when the Nats went to theirs, there was nothing to be had the rest of the way. And, you know, part of me kept thinking, all right, well, we've seen this. They're going to score late. This is what they do. And then you watch the Red Sox bullpen, and you realize these aren't the Oakland A's anymore. <laughs> these guys are pretty good. Chris Martin, Kenley Jansen, of course, closing it in the ninth. These uh, are some experienced, really good relievers. And Kenley Jansen in the ninth inning of a one-run game against anybody is going to be tough. Against Jake Alou, Ildemaro Vargas, and Blake Rutherford, that was a major mismatch. There was no real legitimate hope of a comeback at that point. Although Blake Rutherford did have another hit in this game, so he's catching fire. Nice to see that. Yeah, I mean, the Red Sox are not having a great season by Red Sox standards, and yet, I mean, they're now 63-56. and 56. You know, like, they have a winning record. They play in the cauldron that is the American League East, a division in which not a single team has a losing record All but one team has a positive run differential on the season. So, I mean, the Red Sox, to me, still in a lot of ways are a big boy of MLB. And, uh, you know, this is not uh, the Oakland days, that's for sure. With uh, C.J. Abrams getting to 30 steals on the season. So he becomes just the fifth player since the Nats came to D.C. to have at least 30 steals in a season. Trey Turner, Denard Spann, Nydra Morgan, and Alfonso Soriano are the other four guys. Trey did this four times, 2016 through 2019. I mean, I suppose you have to attach the caveat of, hey, you know, we have bigger bases this season, so things are a little different. But that is something. I mean, 30 steals in a season is certainly a good total. It's not some, you know, gargantuan total. And yet only four guys since the Nats came to D.C. had accomplished this prior to C.J. Abrams on Tuesday night. Well, and the remarkable part of this is the vast majority of his have come just in the last six weeks. It's like since July 1st, essentially, when he took over the leadoff spot that he's been doing this. So if he had been running this well from the beginning, he'd be well on his way, you know, towards a 50 plus stolen base season. And he still could challenge, I think, Trey Turner's club record of 46. He's got what, a little over 40 games to go and just needs 16 more. So I think he could do it if he keeps getting on base and running the way that he has. It's been such a weapon. Yeah, the new rules help him somewhat, but he's taken full advantage of it. He's not getting thrown out. He what finally got thrown off the first time in forever last week. It's been good. You'd like to see them take advantage of it. I don't see any reason to think it's going to change. If he keeps this up, keeps giving them quality at bats and getting on base, keep running. And 
you know, he's going to go down as legitimately one of the best base stealers the Nationals have ever had. Is he a guy you think who's a threat to be a 30-30 guy? I mean, does he have 30 home run power or do you not see him as having that much power? He might. I'm reminded of when Trey Turner first came up and he's this skinny beanpole and you're just not thinking of him as a power hitter at all. And then look at him over time. He did turn into a legitimate power hitter. So maybe we do know that CJ has power. It's kind of specific, like pitches down and in that he can turn on. He hasn't hit a lot to the opposite field. But as he develops, sure, maybe he could get to 2025. I think 30 might be a stretch. But even if he doesn't do that, look, if he was a consistent 20 homer, 40 steal guy, that's tremendous in today's game. There aren't a lot that you can do that. And having someone like that at the top of your lineup who's also playing a good quality shortstop, that's a really valuable player. Yeah, that's a piece of paper I think we'd all sign. 20 homers, 40 steals, getting on base a bunch, you know, getting driven in by the likes of Dylan Cruz and James Wood. Yeah, uh, sign me up for that. Well, game two for the Nats against the Red Sox Wednesday night at 7.05. Mackenzie Gore will be the Nats starting pitcher. We want to thank our sponsor, for this installment of the Nats Chat Podcast, Votes for Women, the latest board game released by DC's Fort Circle Games. Fort Circle Games' mission is to create fun, easy-to-learn, historical board games. Hit us up on Twitter, at Nats underscore chat. You can email the show, Podcast at gmail.com. You can find us online as well on our website, natschatpodcast.com, at which you can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat Podcast music. Visit timnewmark.com. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. First pitch to Wood is hammered over to right center field. Barracoto races to the warning track over at the wall. He turns and it's over the fence and gone. Solo home run by James Wood breaks the shutout in the fourth inning. That's his 14th home run at double A and it gives Harrisburg its first run. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.